in the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. Information. You'll get nothing out of me. No, sir, me neither. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. The new number two. All right, cut it. Well, I've heard of method acting, but you take the coconut. What's got into you? Oh, good grief. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yes, that was meant to be Marina's line, wasn't it? Oh dear, I probably should have mentioned that there'd be a slight problem with casting Marina in the Harlington Straker production of The Prisoner. You see, she can't speak. She doesn't know how. Hmm. Well, that's a massive useless information. Get yourself a new agent, kid. Oh, Paul, please don't be like that. Besides, I'm not actually her... Oh. I'm sorry, Marina. I, I'm still somewhat worse the wear for last week. Anyway, I know you're all right, but uh, there's one person in this room that I know isn't going to take this well. Oh dear. Oh, Gwent! Gwent, honey! Listen, I know you really wanted everyone to see you play number two, but how about you make the randomizer selection instead, okay? I'm delighted. And Gwent, I'd really appreciate it if you could land us on something that isn't torchy. If my word is my bond. Oh, and I have full faith in you, of course. Right, what do we have today? Okay. Well, continuing with the randomizer's apparent return to its roots, we're back with Joe 90, and we're joining him for an Arctic adventure. Well, here we are, back with Joe 90, and, oh, almost immediately, we have uh, something new to talk about. Uh, something that was introduced on Joe 90 that hadn't been used in uh, previous Super Mario Nation series, was uh, a pre-title sequence, which I think was a really good idea. It, uh, it made the shows feel feel much more like uh, like adult shows. You know, you you get this kind of thing uh, on most shows now, but at the time, um, in Britain, I think in America as well, a pre-title sequence like this was uh, was usually reserved for for grown-up TV. Uh, and I think it's a nice nod to uh, to the child audience to help them feel uh, feel sort of respected, you know, make them feel a bit more grown-up than than maybe other children's shows would make them feel. It is not one of ours. This is another episode. It, it may even be the uh, first episode, in fact, to. Uh, to use the idea of the Eastern Alliance as a Automatic villain Mayday. in Joe 90. Automatic Mayday Setzer. Prepare to eject. I'm kind of torn about this because on the one hand, it is nice to have a recurring adversary in this series, even though the Eastern Alliance only appeared in oh, this episode, Attack of the Tiger. Um, oh, maybe even one or two more episodes where you could imply that it was them. Okay. Get them out of here. Set individual systems go. And while I sort of respect Jay Anderson's attempt to uh, to not pick on, say, the Russians as a baddie or the Chinese as a baddie, to not say those names, um, I'm not entirely convinced that having them all come together in one group as the Eastern Alliance to be uh, to be the baddies in this series was an entirely good idea. And also a fairly grim opening here. We have uh, the crew of this plane ejecting to certain death. Um, pretty much certain death. I don't think there's any mention of them being rescued. And there's that kind of, uh, you know, that good luck moment just before the two pilots eject. 
it's very clear that they know they're not going to survive this. Oh, that's a lovely plane crash explosion there. Now, another reason I think the uh, the Eastern Alliance concept was was a good idea is that um, it gives you a, a greater sense of scale of like the the political landscape of this world, and it um, it makes for a nice contrast when. We go from that opening with, you know, the, the plane crashing and the Eastern Alliance watching them and all this, you know, we've just lost some nuclear missiles in in the Arctic Circle. You know, this is serious stuff. The fate of the world is at stake. And then we cut to uh, to Joe and his dad in their cottage, um, completely oblivious to the situation. I love that contrast that this show does of, uh, as I think Professor McLean said in the, the first episode, uh, a combination of the old and the new. I've said before that I uh, I adore this opening title sequence as I adore Stingray and UFO and most of the rest of them. Just something about that opening title sequence makes me happy. It, it just this whole show plugs into my inner child in a way that uh, the others don't necessarily. The search for the four nuclear devices lost in the tragic crash of the B one hundred and seven. Yeah, tragic crash. We can confirm that they uh, the pilots are all dead in that case. The fact that the aircraft crashed inside the Arctic Circle just three miles from the eastern sector prevented a major political incident. That's good news. The weather will remain bright. Turn it off, Joe. Yeah, it's good yes, news that those pilots um, died in a considerate place. Yes, Mrs. Harris, we intend to have a nice, relaxed day. There's an interesting newspaper that uh, Professor McLean is reading. Yes, there. It's, uh, it's called the Astronaut Observer, but the headline is uh, Red Arrow uh, Test Tragedy. Colonel Casey to be replaced, which is obviously the uh, the newspaper that was being read on Tracy Island in Edge of Impact. I think that newspaper reappeared a couple of times in this show. Uh, there was also a newspaper from, I think the episode Splashdown was reused a few times. Are you ready, Joe? Yes, Dad. Come on, then. I only feel slightly ashamed, by the way, that I can uh, recognise a newspaper, a prop newspaper's origins by the headlines. We'll stop somewhere on the way and get a sandwich. Sandwiches? <gasps> Not sandwiches? Oh no, anything but sandwiches. Yeah, this is um, Mrs. Harris, uh, Professor McLean's housekeeper, who I think only appeared in four episodes, never contributed anything to the stories, and it's, uh, it's always seemed to me as a way to try to give Silver Anderson a role in the series, which unfortunately she didn't have, a voice role in the series. Obviously she'd been uh, uh, one, a Melody Angel in Captain Scarlet and of course Lady Penelope in Thunderbirds. Um, this this series, Joe 90, was very much a more sort of boy's own thing. Um, so, it, I mean, it's rare that you even get any female guest characters at all in this show, much less you know, more than one. Which is a shame. That bomb must be recovered. Is there any danger it'll detonate? That's virtually impossible. Oh, that means in the Jerry Anderson universe, that means it's an absolute certainty, doesn't it? Yes. It's probably ticking down at this very moment. One problem. Dr. Kelvin is nearly 70. He's too old. Oh, ageist, ageist. No, that would not fly today. He'd need to be near a 90. Nothing wrong with being 70. He can still go on uh, on missions if he's 70. Uh, yes. You see, you're thinking of organizing an underwater Arctic expedition. 
Yes, Doctor. We'd be glad of any help you could give us. And you say that you're the head of a top-secret government agency that uh, sometimes people know about and sometimes people don't know about, and you've come to see me. Uh, I think this is not entirely on the level. It's going to help us record your brain pattern, Doctor. Record my brain pattern? <laughs> Very good. I may be an old man, but I haven't lost my sense of humour. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have a few laughing at that joke. That that joke uh, cropped up a few times and was uh, was very rarely uh, funny. I suppose in a way it's quite charming that uh, um, that people just respond to it as if it's a load of gibberish. I think the only time it was really genuinely funny was in uh, Attack of the Tiger, where um, they used the line on Fearless Foley, who clearly thought um, Joe and his dad were both insane. I think that's the best way to re respond to it, not to uh, not to find it genuinely funny. Where to now, Mr. Weston? Back to the cottage, Joe. Get you brained up, and then the real assignment. Find that missing nuclear device. I love that that's jargon in this show. You know, we're going to get the small child brained up. Oh, it's, it's so... so wrong, and yet so right. Now, um, I'm looking at this shot of the icebreaker moving... Uh, across the Arctic Circle here, and uh, I've got to say, and it's not unique to this episode, these sheets of ice, which are obviously um, resprayed pieces of polystyrene, I never found them entirely convincing uh, in this or in other episodes, like, uh, for instance, uh, Noose of Ice is another one that uses great chunks of polystyrene, and none of it is really convincing, I think because... Although it, it's got the right shape and the right texture, it doesn't look cold. There's no uh, there's no sparkle to it. Um, this shot of the underwater complex, I think the ice ice works well with like the uh, the fish tank in front of it to to sort of block out the uh, to, to slightly distort the shot of the ice. And in fact, this uh, the shot of the underwater base here is quite interesting because it's made up of uh, a number of pieces, recognizable props from uh, Captain Scarlet. I think a large a large chunk of it was originally the uh, Atlantica base model in Flight to Atlantica. But if you look closely, and um, th this is only what I've spotted, I'm sure there's more under there, um, you have the top of the mini satellite from uh, Shadow of Fear, the one that landed on Phobos, the, the bit with the smiley head, that's that's quite visible there. And you also have, very tiny, uh, a model of the London car view, which, once you see it there, is uh, you're never going to not notice it. It is like a sort of a reunion for old Captain Scarlet props. Now here we have Joe uh, off to recover the missile in a little uh, mini-submarine, and um, a lot of the guest vehicles in Joe 90, I, I think certainly there is a reason why very few of them became toys. And I don't think any of them are bad designs as such, it's just that they are, um, they are more designed to be functional rather than attractive. It's... Uh, you know, it's not meant to look glamorous, it's not meant to look like something that could be, could be turned into a toy. It's meant to look practical, and I think this does. Um, it is a shame, though, that uh, there's very few Joe 90 models made. Obviously, the jet air car, 
uh, and Sam's little car were produced in dinkies. Um, Konami did a, a nice little model of the uh, explosive truck from uh, Colonel McLean. But uh, this could easily become a model. Um, and there's, I think, a few models in Joe 90 that could be adapted uh, as toys. I'm not saying that I want Joe 90 toys, but I want Joe 90 toys. I don't have any. You know, even when I was a kid, I never had any of the uh, Vivid Imaginations toys that came out at the same time. I kind of regret that now. I was looking at them on eBay recently, but uh, far too expensive. Yeah, here we go. London Carview. Is that the bottom of... Well, only three more weeks oh, in this ice box. there's what It'll looks like possibly the bottom half, or at least a piece of the sun probe. Could be wrong. <laughs> I got it all worked out. Nothing uh, to do? Uh, yes, Commander. Then get on with it. I do like these scenes of the uh, the radar technicians in the... Uh, the Eastern Alliance base just chatting to each other and killing time because it must be very boring for them. It's not. It's really nice character stuff, and that was something that this show was always really good at. Um, not just uh, strong characterizations for the regulars, but also for uh, for the guest characters and even minor characters. You'd better turn back. If you get into difficulties, we won't be able to help. No chance. You won't be able to help him even if he gets into difficulty now. As far as I know, you don't have another submarine. You don't have anyone else with his experience. What else am I seeing? Oh, um, yeah, this is lovely music, by the way. I think I just noticed as well in the undersea base there uh, some of the pressure domes from just Avalanche. And drink it quick in case the commander decides to come back. He won't. Oh, this is this is lovely as well. You've got um, the two radar technicians. They are clearly sat in an underwater section of the base because there's a great big uh, um, wall of fish in front of them. That's a lovely touch. And it's always nice to see uh, to see things like that included on the puppet stages because it must have been hard enough to do on the model sets. It must have been ten times more difficult to do on the puppet stage. Include uh, a tank with fish in. I've located the device. It's lodged in a crack in the rocks, but it shouldn't be too difficult to pick. Now this is the first uh, episode of Joe 90 that I've come to uh, since the since my uh, randomizers for Trial at Sea and uh, Child of the Sun God were were first aired on the the earliest uh, podcasts, uh, I should explain that I record these quite some time in advance. So. Uh, I don't know when this is going to go out, but for me at the moment it's late August. I don't know where you are in your time zone, but that's where I am. And uh, so it, it, it's a good chance for me to address some of the comments that uh, that Jamie made in response to my earlier reviews of Joe 90, uh, specifically how much he he dislikes the Joe 90 character for being um, such a know-all, for, for telling everybody what to do and all that stuff. My response to that would be... It could be a lot worse. Um, for starters, he is meant to know everything anyway. Um, that That's the whole point of giving him these these brain patterns, is to make him an expert, a specialist on, on all sorts of things. So of course he's going to be telling people what to do. And if you look at scenes where he isn't uh, brained up, um, he often isn't saying much. And when he does throw in an idea, uh, people often tell him to shut up. Uh, I can think of like International Concerto and uh, Lone Handed 90 as two examples of that. So he isn't treated as uh, a prodigy all the way through. And I also think, for anyone who doesn't like the character, imagine if 
the Century 21 team had done what had been done on all of the previous Super Mario Nation series that had featured a child character, and they had got a woman to do the voice. Now, nothing against nothing against uh, Sylvia Anderson, Christine Finn, any other women who did child voices in those shows. I don't think there were any others, but it never sounded convincing. But it sort of fit in the world of uh, Thunderbirds and Stingray, where you know you, you didn't have these correctly proportioned puppets. There wasn't this huge drive for ultra realism like there is in Joe 90 and Captain Scarlet. So I think we get away very lightly with having Len Jones portray this character. Um, I mean, just imagine if that was, you know, if it was the voice of Jimmy Gibson coming out of this puppet, I I would have issues with this show as well. As it is, I think, what we get is not perfect, but I think it is a lot better than people would give it credit for. Um, and yeah, Joe could be a lot more annoying. Um, personally, I've never found him annoying. Like I said, he's, he's supposed to be an expert, so he behaves like an expert. And when he doesn't have that knowledge, he doesn't behave like an expert. He is just a regular little boy. What's that? And I think that's um, a difficult balancing act, but it all worked very well. Two other traces, and they're heading right for him. Base to Joe 90. We picked up two underwater vehicles about four miles from your position. They're probably enemy killer subs. Get out of there fast. Not till I get what I came for. Out. And that sort of is a good example of um, the fact that he is, you know, a Jerry Anderson hero worthy of the the name, the same as you know Scott Tracy and Captain Scarlet and all the rest of them, because it's not just a question of having the experience. He is genuinely brave in his own right. Anyway, that's lovely. Three miles still closing. Unfortunately, we have these scenes of Mac and Shane and Sam just sort of fretting about him, which uh, were never quite as effective as uh, as having them out in the field alongside him. That was always better. Now, having said that the uh, submarine looks is a very good design, and I still stand by that, but uh, seeing these thin, spindly arms holding this, uh, this uh, torpedo thingy... Um, that part of it is, is less than convincing. It looks like it's got a knife and it's going to try and stab somebody. Or maybe that's just me. Gosh, never has staring at a screen looking at radar blips been so funky. I love the music in this show. Now, we've got some more underwater scenes here where you can see they've taken the time to, uh, to treat the polystyrene and make it look more... more real. It's got moss growing on it there are there are different shades in the colors it's not just polystyrene the stuff on the surface is really obviously polystyrene it, it has no no frostiness it has real no weight to it underwater it looks lovely i, I just wish they'd taken the time to do a bit more on the surface just a little bit more still looks better than most other shows have made around this time but now this music that's uh, playing at the moment this returned a few times in Joe 90. Uh, it was also used in uh, Space 1999, I think, in Collision Course. Um, but it was also used, and this is a very personal memory, uh, when I was at university doing a, a film, we were making a short film, like five minutes, um, uh, it was about somebody who, who suddenly found themselves all alone. Uh, there was nobody around. And um, there was no dialogue, so we needed some really good music. 
I went raiding my uh, soundtrack library, which at the time was basically just Jerry Anderson stuff, and I brought in all of the spookiest music I could find, uh, including that piece. And that piece was chosen to be the soundtrack for this film. And luckily nobody asked me where it came from, because if they had, I would have felt uh, mildly embarrassed to say to my uh, university friends, Oh yeah, this is a piece of music from Joe 90. Of course, now I don't care. But at the time, you know, it's it's... Not the coolest thing to own up to. I think you're a, a winner, Mr. Weston. Joe, a winner. Oh, oh, that's right. W-I-N, winner. <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. Once again, oh, I love David Healy. I love Shane Weston as David Healy. That's just... And again, it shows the, uh, the evolution of the humour in this show that Joe can make an obviously awful joke. His dad and Sam just go, oh, and Shane is like, yes, I'm putting that in my big book of jokes. Ah, well, that was Arctic Adventure. Um, once again, as with, I think, about 60 or 70% of Joe 90, perfectly decent, perfectly serviceable, nothing spectacular, but a solid entry that once again shows the strength of the series. And uh, yeah, as with everything Joe 90 related, I really enjoy it. I apologize if people are sort of hoping that I can, uh, can tear it to pieces. There are very few episodes of this show that I don't like. I think maybe there are two that I don't like. And even then, they're just no, you know, they're, they're not great. Um, but this is a nice little uh, excursion to the Arctic Circle, uh, which was a. I, 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 I don't think um, Century 21 did many sort of uh, icy, snowy, polar related episodes. Um, there was usually one ice episode, one snow episode. Uh, so we've ha- now had our ice-related episode. We will hopefully one day get our snow episode, but that'll be another time. Bye-bye.